This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Always a treat to talk to our next guest. You can find him on social media at Aaron Anderson. That's A-R-R-A-N. And Anderson with an S-E-N at the end from Fox 31. You can also catch him as the host of Colorado Sports Night on KWGN2. It is Aaron Anderson. Aaron, uh, thank you for joining us. We'll, I'll just lead with this. Over the last couple of days, Pro Football Focus had its first mock draft, suggested the Broncos would give up a King's ransom. As a matter of fact, the exact same trade package the 49ers did to move up to select Trey Lance a couple of years ago. When they, they jumped from 12 to 3, they suggested the Broncos would jump from 12 to 2 to take Drake May. Today, ESPN's Field Yates said the Broncos would just pick J.J. McCarthy at number 12. Of course, we've seen mock drafts with the Broncos taking Bo Nix. Haven't really seen one with Penix of, of late. But when you start seeing mock drafts for the Broncos, and they are mock drafts, but these are from football observers, that all of them have them taking a quarterback and not even the same quarterback. How much does that tell you about your quarterback position? <laughs> yeah, it says a lot. But, you know, I hearken back to high school. I had a science teacher that said, you know, the majority is very seldom correct. correct. In this case, <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> my, that's true. my hunch is, and, and George Payton laid this out at the end of the year press conference. He said, look, we need depth, and you get depth in the draft. You don't get depth in free agency. And if that's the case, if that's one of the voices in that room, granted we know it's the other Payton, Sean Payton, who's going to have the final say, I think the odds are more likely the Broncos will trade back to, to you know, find more capital uh, to, to add depth. And I would assume there's going to be a quarterback available and one of which may be somebody who fits Sean Payton's eye. I, what's interesting to me is as soon as Michigan won the national championship, there was talk that, oh, they won, but this McCarthy's just not, he's not pro-ready. And, and now today there's a, a draft, a mock draft that comes out that he's going to be number 12 overall. <laughs> my fear would be, my fear would be the Broncos reach. And I don't think you can afford to reach anymore. I think you need to get players that are going to be valuable for you down the road. We can all agree they need a quarterback, but I think the odds for me are far more likely that you see a Mac Jones in orange and blue or maybe even a Sam Darnold. I, I think that's where maybe the, the big swing takes place. In terms of the draft, I, I just do not see them moving up and you know having to shell out another King's ransom for a guy that we just don't know if and when he's going to pan out. I was saying yesterday, Aaron, that I wasn't sure that I'd give up all that for Caleb Williams, uh, you know, I, I get the sense anyway. The Bears traded the pick last year. Now they right. got the number one pick again. I don't think they're going to trade it again. I'm not saying they shouldn't, uh, but I, I just don't think they will. I I, I think you, you you've, you've got too much uh, to lose if if Caleb Williams turns out to be great, and I think they can talk themselves into. Uh, his being great, and I guess you know there are occasional whispers that he might try to exercise some leverage. But the the notion, especially for a Drake May, I I don't think Drake May is the second best quarterback in the class. I don't think it'll turn out that way. Um, I I think Daniels is better. If you're going to give up all of that, I maybe think harder about giving it up for uh, Daniels. But I, I I agree with with your theory and the the whole notion. Well, you just trade back, and I 
I'm guilty of it too. Uh, it, it assumes that, that oh, they can, they can do that if they really want to. The biggest hole that the Broncos have in this draft is that it, they don't have a second-round pick. And that's where a lot of these quarterbacks would go, right? If, if, if we're really judging by their prospects for being great, you know, the, the three guys at the top will go in the first round and probably in the top 10 picks. Yeah. After that, they're all second or third rounders, aren't they? That, yeah, that I, next I think level. So. I, I, I certainly have no argument there. You know, there's even betting odds on, you know, which one of those three guys. You're talking about Nick's McCarthy, who yeah. I think we, we both agree would be a second rounder right. at best. And, and even Penix, depend, depending on, you know, Penix. on how the physical. Yeah, the, the medical evaluation is going to be part of that, too. Right. right. Of course. And, you know, it, 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 here we are three days away from the Super Bowl, and, and, you know, we're just salivating over, you know, mock drafts. I, we, that's <laughs> the sign of desperation an for an organization. How desperate they, they are. They're desperate. <laughs> well, not only are they desperate, I think Broncos country is desperate because I'm seeing it online that people are responding to these things, right? And, my goodness, we haven't even got through the, the combine where there, I, I think – I don't know that there's going to be complete clarity, but I think there's probably going to be maybe a, a, a maybe a, a better line of thought as to how some of these teams are going to maneuver as we get closer to April's draft. But yeah, I, I think it, it really speaks volumes, like you say, to the desperation. And you know, once again, <laughs> uh, Sean Payton made the media rounds, and you know, the Broncos still haven't ruled out Russell Wilson as being an option next year. So all all cards are on the table, and boy, I. I think it's going to be a fascinating, you know, couple of months as we get closer to April's draft because there's going to be a lot more narratives kicked out about some of these quarterbacks who have suddenly gotten better between, you know, the end of their playing days at the collegiate level and uh, the chance to walk a stage and uh, hug Roger Goodell. Well, the idea would look, maybe the Broncos haven't ruled out Russell Wilson, but I'm pretty confident Russell Wilson's ruled out the Broncos and it does take two <laughs> to course. tango there. So, I mean, moving on, but it, it is fascinating to see, because I'm inclined to agree with you. I mentioned this yesterday. I do not think the Broncos will spend their first-round pick on a quarterback. Because I think when you do, then all of a sudden the clock is ticking on Sean Payton. That's That becomes, quote-unquote, his guy, right? If you sign a Mac Jones or a Sam Darnold like you, you suggested, uh, Payton gets to say, well, the salary cap kind of hamstrung us. We, we didn't love the quarterbacks in this year's this draft. This is transition. We had some other needs. Yeah. This is a bridge guy. Yeah. And the Broncos can say what they've been saying for most of a decade now. Bear with us. We're, we're, we're getting there, right? And and I think Broncos yeah. fans are sitting in the back seat asking, are we there yet? But 2024, is gonna is they're not going to be there. Not only do the Chiefs loom, the Chargers are there with Jim Harbaugh. The Raiders already finished above them. And by the way, that's one of the teams where Russell Wilson could land. And now all of a sudden, they find themselves probably as the worst team in the AFC West. And with a monumental climb in a stacked AFC, think of the teams in the AFC that didn't make the playoffs. The Bengals. Think about like some of these teams that have been the Chargers, the teams that we assumed were were playoff teams that didn't make it. Even the They'll Jets with that defense Jets, getting Rodgers back. The Jaguars made the playoffs yeah. last year. I mean, yeah. you have to jump over all of them too. And so, no. for the Broncos, at what point? If ever, would it make sense to say something that at least in my lifetime, 
I'm not familiar with them saying, we need to rebuild. We need to start trading away players we have for picks. Because by the time they're actually going to make a playoff run, some of these guys aren't going to be able to help them at all anyway. No, very true. And, and on Monday night on Colorado Sports Night, you said the best course of action in regards to dead cap money associated with Russell Wilson might be just to, to swallow it all at Take once. Take it in one it year. Bite the bullet. Look, we know the Chiefs are going to be primed for another run while certainly going to be challenged, I think, a little bit with free agency, certainly on the defensive front, but they're going to be there. And, and the reality is, boy, if you brought in a Darnold, if you brought in a Mac Jones, and the expectation was, hey, we just need somebody to fill the void until we can find our guy, that might be a little bit more palatable then to say, hey, we are rebuilding. And, you know, in lieu of this $85 million hit that we've got to just stomach, um, we're going to jettison some familiar faces, some guys who may shine brightly for other teams. But the caveat, the carrot you dangle in front of the fan base is we're going to acquire picks, which are going to allow us to compete sooner if we blow things up and rebuild than to continue on this trajectory of searching for the Holy Grail, which is finding a franchise quarterback. I want to ask you uh, not so much about what what you think that the fans want or the fans think, because um, I, I think all three of us kind of are in the, the same place with regard to how we view the fans. I want to know what you think about whether they draft a quarterback or not in the first round, regardless of who they bring in a quarterback. Isn't there heat? next year on Sean Payton to make the playoffs that wasn't there this year. I didn't sense that fans expected them to make the playoffs. Sean Payton said publicly, at least, that he expected the Broncos to make the playoffs and would be very disappointed if they didn't, would be peed off, I think he said, in the the preseason. But isn't there, after eight and nine, an expectation that they will be in the playoffs next year. And if they aren't, I don't care what he does, there's going to be heat on him. I'm not saying there's going to be so much heat that they'll have to fire him. Right. That I, I don't think he gets fired, but I think he becomes, especially once Wilson is gone, he becomes the focal point for the fans' ire if they don't make the playoffs in 2024 after eight years out of them. Yeah. For example, they're not going to be mad at Sam Darnold about it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> no. Or any no, quarterback no. who goes Jarrett Stidham, Sam Darnold, <laughs> Mac Jones. They're all backup it's quarterbacks. The fans know that. Right. But that's, it's different when you're talking about bringing in a backup. Yo, no, I, I, hey, listen, I, I agree with what you're saying and the fact that this team was three games better than they were under the Nathaniel Hackett disaster. You, the, the trajectory naturally would be, okay, 10-11 wins seems yeah. like a ballpark in, in the postseason. But, you know, I think the, the fact that the Broncos are steering towards uncharted territory, no team has ever dealt with an $85 million <laughs> dead cap hit. I, I think that's going to be the fallback, right? I mean, there's that great scene in – um, uh, old school, where Will Farrell and his wife uh, are in counseling. And without saying a word, he's looking at the counselor and kind of nodding his head towards his wife, saying, like, she's the problem. Uh, again, I can see that scenario taking place where Sean Payton says, hey, I'm just as ticked off as you are. 
if only we had somebody who hadn't dug us an $85 million hole, well, then, then, we would be there. Then they should fire him. Then they, not Peyton, the coach, they, Peyton, the, the general manager. Then as they keep him on, they're endorsing him. I'm sorry. That's how fans are going to read it. And I, that's what I would think, too. You kept him on. You kept them on. I mean, Super Bowl losers, they start firing people. Right. As we saw today. They start firing people. The Broncos don't fire anybody. (laughs) No, they add people from New Orleans. And I think there's a likely I think there's a likelihood that George Payton is not in the fold come May. I think that the the way it may play out. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I think they ride Peyton to say, "Hey, we, you know, he's in charge of our scouting department. Yeah, we've got guys on board, and now, now we can we can start, you know, sailing this ship ourselves." However, you still could point the finger and say, "Yeah, you know what? That guy who we had to get rid of. Yeah, we're still dealing with the fallout from that." I mean, look, we remember that John Elway was working underneath Brian Zander, and then all of a sudden, he you didn't know, need him anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like a kid where, you know, he's, you got him on the bike with the training wheels and pretty soon they come off. And, you know, I, I think there is a likelihood that George Payton's, um, you know, run in Denver is over, in fact, after this draft. Because at that point, what really would you need him on board for if indeed he's, you know, a guy who has put this franchise in such a precarious position? That's you know that's an interesting point because and, and it's worth noting by the way you can follow Aaron on social at Aaron Anderson that uh, at the end of the year Sandy and I were talking about how George Payton has is going to be gone that Sean Payton will blow him out Aaron's the guy that's telling us no 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 Sean Payton's going to stick make sure George Payton sticks around a little bit so you might have a potential other fall guy so I you know I hadn't really thought about that but your track record has been really good so now I'm thinking about that possibility <laughs> and it's it's a very good point there there's only there is only so much that George Payton could do before Sean Payton just ends up taking it all over anyway. And mm-hmm. it, it's a fascinating approach. So, okay. They're not going to go quarterback in the first round, hypothetically. They will probably draft one in the late rounds or middle rounds, a developmental guy. Let's say they go with the veteran route, which I agree with you. Where should they go in the first round then? Uh, well, assuming they trade down, um, Look, they're they're going to need a center. They need a tight end. I, I think they need help at receiver. You can never have enough help on the defensive line. I mean, there's a number of different areas I think that that they need to focus on linebacker as well. Um, you know, and I hate to refer back to mock drafts. I've seen mock drafts where they, they take a cornerback just to shoot oh, shore up that. the other yeah. side of the field. Sure. So sure. I mean, I, I think those are all feasible. My hunch, look, if they trade down. And, and I don't know what the equation is. I've seen it where, you know, pick number 12 is worth how many picks down the road, right. second, a third, a, right. whatever it might be. Right. I, I think the likelihood for me would be if they trade that first-round pick, they're trading out of the first round entirely. Maybe they get a couple right. second-rounders in a third. I think for my money, that would be, that would be, be where the value is. And as, as Sandy talked about earlier, it, I think it's very likely that – if there is a quarterback, Knicks, Panics, whoever it might be, McCarthy, I think those guys are going to be available in that second round. Right. And I think you can pick one of those guys up along with one of those need positions. Maybe, 
you know, in lieu of this big cap hit where we think, hey, they, they might just rip that Band-Aid off altogether, if Garrett Bowles has to be jettisoned in his contract, maybe you pick up a, you know, a left tackle sure. to, to have that in your yeah. pocket. You know, the fact that they may trade down, I think, certainly gives them more options to address needs uh, moving forward. And if, if they somehow can find a way to stomach an $85 million hit for one year, you know, I, I really believe there's going to be some young players asked to play immediately who may be able to make impacts, you know, sooner than if they were playing behind somebody and, and getting, you know, time here and there. He is Arn Anderson. Make sure you give him a follow at Arn Anderson, A-R-R-A-N, and finishing with Anderson, S-E-N, over at Fox 31. And check him out uh, most every night at Channel 2 with the Colorado Sports Night program as well. It's a, it's a pretty good show, despite the fact they let me on it sometimes. So it's very, very nice. You were great. <laughs> it's always nice well, to talk to you, Arn. We, no, pleasure. We need to get Sandy on sometime as well, guys. Always a, a fun chat with you guys. Always enjoy the conversation. Thanks, Thanks so Arne. much, Arn. Appreciate it. Arn Anderson it. from Fox 31. And, and, you know, like pointed out, Sandy, he's he's kind of had the, the, the compass completely on track here with, with the way that Sean Payton well, has handled I, things. I think that's a terrific observation that he makes. Whether it comes true or not, I, I, I don't know. Well, but it's interesting. Be, why it's would you do it that early? that way before. It's happened that way. GMs have been before. moved on. GMs, yeah, you kind of let season. him set up the structure. You know who makes the final call, but he's kind of in an executive sense uh, the CEO of the draft, right? Right. And, okay, you do the draft, and then I, I agree with Aaron. There's no particular reason to keep George Payton around and unless they find a way with – Six picks, at least at the present time, to solve all their problems in one draft. And that isn't likely to happen. No, no, it's almost impossible for that to happen. And that that's where the Broncos uh, have such a, a huge, I mean, it's just so challenging to, to try to look at any way this offseason can go and think that the Broncos are in position, certainly it's laughable to say they're in position to win the AFC West or even compete for the AFC West crown. The problem Stay is, last place. if you can't get at least into third, well, you have no chance to get into the yeah, playoffs. And, and I, you really need to be in second. And I don't see how they can hop the, the Chiefs and, I mean, the party of the Chargers and the Raiders. They started one and five. Mm-hmm. And they should have been better. They than got that. to seven and six. And they finished one and three. Mm-hmm. So starting one and five and finishing one and three, to me, is a more accurate reflection of where the Broncos stand at the moment. The fool's gold came in the middle of the one and five start and the one and three finish. But that's what happened. And if they're out of it next year by week 13, week 14, it was wait a minute, we're regressing. Right. We were in it, mathematically at least through week 13, week 14, week 15 last year, and now we're out of it this year, that doesn't sound like a team whose arrow is pointing up. I think the, the point you, you made there is very interesting, that it now, after Russell Wilson is gone, not only is Sean Payton going to be the guy that everyone's focusing on because of his position, but a lot of the... St- the team isn't really recognizable. You know full well, 
even if Patrick Sertan has a bad game, he's not the reason that the whole team is bad. Justin Simmons, who really generally doesn't have bad games. Cortland Sutton, Javante Williams. No one's going to say the this, this, this season bombed because of one of these guys' independent positions had anything to do with it. This all rides on Sean Payton. The Nuggets take on the Kings tonight. The uh, the formal releases, Jamal Murray, KCP, Julian Strother, all out tonight for the Nuggets, to which Whoa. I think Sandy and I both say, good. Take the time good. off. You get, you get uh, in KCP and, and Murray's I, I'm case. sure Malone was listening on the way. Yeah, that's nine games off for those guys. We'll see if they get it done against the Kings. We'll certainly talk about it tomorrow. It was great to talk to Arn Anderson. Of course, always great to have Arn on the program. May give him a follow. It is Wellness Wednesday, and on Wednesdays, that's what we do, which means Sandy Clough has a fascinating discussion coming up with Dr. Rick Perea. I will step aside, but when we come back, that discussion with Dr. Rick will start next on Miley Sports. Welcome once again to Wellness Wednesday, our weekly checkup from the neck up. I'm Sandy Clough. Dr. Rick Perea is sitting to my left. We can be heard every Wednesday afternoon at 5.30 on Mile High Sports Radio and, of course, available anytime via podcast at milehighsports.com. Dr. Perea, our first post-Super Bowl show yep. Yep. of 2024. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second, but I first want to uh, start with a concept that I know you've wanted to talk about for a while, and it is a concept that is labeled locus of control. There is an internal dimension and an external dimension, and we'll get to how that applies to perhaps Super Bowl 58 and the outcome on Sunday, Um, maybe tied into a few other Uh, recent sporting events as well, but uh, explain the difference when it comes to locus of control between internal and external. Yeah. So it's a psychological construct that we've used in performance psychology over the last 25 years. And locus of control means internally, when you have a high level of locus control means you attribute success and failure to what you can control. And that's why you call it a locus of control. It's a center of control. Um, There's a lot of performers, a lot of athletes in the world that relegate performance to external factors, Um, weather, opponent, um, things that they don't have 100% control of. And that's an external locus of control. So someone who has a high internal locus of control means they have a high level of internal calmness and we call that the parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system like if you look at the super bowl and we'll talk about that in a minute teams approach those games differently some of them have an internal locus of control and some of them have an external locus of control and we find that the ones that have an external locus of control don't have as much success because they don't view themselves of having 100 percent control over the outcome that day can that change during the course of a game? Not just the Super yes. Bowl, but in any given game yes. where perhaps you have internal that becomes external and vice versa. Right, yeah. Terms of momentum, turnovers, uh, change of weather, um, change of strategy. You know, you see teams make adjustments at halftime 
and there's a complete change in, or flip in the game. So, yeah, internal and external control is fluid throughout anyone's brain, but also in their performance out on the field, pool, or wherever they are. People talk about momentum a lot and don't yeah. particularly define it. Right. But this is what, in your opinion, yeah. momentum consists of. 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah. Going from one to the other. Yeah. You know, it's funny because people will say, let's just use the Super Bowl, for example. Well, okay, Kansas City got momentum in the second half. Okay, momentum doesn't start in the quads. It doesn't start in the chest. It doesn't start in the triceps. It starts in the brain. It starts in your ability to believe that you have a certain amount of control over what's going to happen. And then the external locus of control, that's where you lose momentum, that you don't have as much control. But that all starts in the brain. It doesn't start physically. When people talk about a team having momentum, it's not physical momentum. It can become that, but it starts in the brain from the neck up. Travis Kelsey's confrontation with Andy Reid on the sideline <laughs> yeah. in the first half. Uh, we're talking uh, here for the first time this week, obviously, on Wednesday. Well, yeah. it's Wednesday and all of that. What was up with that? Kelsey has now kind of come clean. He did a podcast with his brother, a right. podcast that they do together, which is a riot, yeah. by the way. And Jason Kelsey, Travis's brother, said, you stepped over the line right there. Oh, good. And good. Travis Kelsey said, yeah, I did. And for the first time, talked about what happened and that he lost his locus of control, perhaps. Yeah. He didn't yeah, he say did. locus of control. Right, right. But that's what happened there, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and I think we can break it down to this. When you look at Travis Kelsey in the way that he plays – he really plays what's called an H-back. It's not – you call it a yes, tight end. the old H-back. Yeah, but it's an H-back. Dan Reeves popularized yeah, here yeah. in the early 80s when you were yeah. in and, training camp. Yeah, and so when we look at the, what he does on per play, he's very free to run different patterns. You know, we have a lot of different descriptions of patterns, a go route, a sluggo, a 10-yard out, a, a, a skinny post, whatever you want to call them. He runs around. He just runs around and spins around, hooks, curls, all these different angles. And Mahomes seems to read him. And he finds him. And they, they basically play Sandlot ball to get him open in, in, in the 10 and under call. When they go mid-depth or let long depth, then they do set you some, some schemes. Um, but he's very free-willing. And so he carries that element of control or lack of control to the sidelines too. He thinks he has a say in determining in personnel groups. And that's what happened. He that's what happened. He, he wasn't, wasn't in the game. He wasn't included in the personnel group when they fumbled the ball. And so he he decided to externalize and express yeah. that to Andy Reid, which really was inappropriate and immature. And I think looking back on it now, he would understand that. But he needs to have a higher level of locus control, uh, internal locus of control, because he's very externally driven when you watch him out on the field and off the field as well. We talk about this all the time, coach and quarterback interactions, players interacting with coaches on the sidelines. I don't know. Maybe there are more cameras now. Yeah. And that's what Andy <laughs> Reid ended up telling Travis Kelsey. You know there are cameras on me all the time. Right. So when you approach me like that, it's it's – yeah. It's going to be noticed. Yeah. It's not, although CBS tried its best seemingly to ignore it. Right. Uh, it, it is going to get noticed because the coach is on camera uh, all the time. There seems to me, and I want you to tell me, mm -hmm. you, you're younger than I am, but. Not by that uh, much. Not by that much. <laughs> uh, 
I don't remember years and years ago as many confrontations on the sidelines. Now, mm-hmm. maybe there were and there weren't as many cameras yeah. to catch it. Do, do you think that whatever reasons there may be, there's more of that today, that players feel that they can do something like that, even with a head coach during the course of play. Yeah, I think I think it happens more regularly now. I really do. There are more it isn't cameras. just more cameras. No, there are more cameras. There are more angles of covering it. But I do think it happens more. I, I really do. It, it reminds me, as you were saying that, Sandy, it reminded me of training camp 1983 when John Elway was a rookie and I was a rookie in training camp. And we were walking off the field in the morning practice. And John's dad, Jack, had come to practice. And apparently, I didn't know because I played defense, you know, we were kind of sheltered from it. But apparently, John and, and Dan had already been going through some disagreements. And I all I know is I remember we're walking off the field and I hear Dan Reeves yelling, what if everybody called their dad from training camp and told him they were pissed off? And it was John Hadel, our quarterback coach, Dan Reeves, Jack Elway, and John Elway. Because apparently what had happened, we found out afterwards, <clears throat> you know, when John was in college at Stanford, he, he used his feet a lot to make plays. He broke pocket. Well, Dan wanted him to sit in the pocket. So they got into a lot of riffs about that. And so it happened then, very, very you know, visual and verbal. So I think it's been happening, but not at the rate it is now. I think there's a lot less uh, structure and accountability on teams than there used to be. And I think some of the athletes growing up haven't been held accountable on their teams at the high school, college level leading up into the pros. So I do think it's both. More cameras and there's less accountability of structure and discipline with the athletes coming up. Because I can tell you one thing, if my son even brought this up, Keegan, he said if he would have done that to Woody Hayes, he would have got his butt kicked. If he'd have done that to Nick Saban, you know, you know, there's guys you just don't do that to. And, um, you know, Andy Reid, I think, handled it well. It was the middle of the game. You know, what are you going to do? But, um, yeah, I think it's happening more regularly now. And that's one of the challenges I run into when I work with my coaches is helping them understand how to reach today's athlete. Uh, that is a real challenge. Yes. Isn't it? Yes, Because it is. It, 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 there is a difference. It isn't just a bunch of old men sitting around pining for the good old days right coaches had all the authority and all the mm-hmm. control and the players didn't make as much as they should have made then yeah. and obviously not nearly as much uh, as they make now uh on the other side of this explain patrick mahomes mm. to me yeah from a psychological point of view we all see he plays a style that i, I don't know that any other quarterback has right. ever played before. I'm yeah. not saying he's the best quarterback of all time, right. although he ain't far from it, right. it seemed to me. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying there's no quarterback to whom you can compare him. Right. You could compare Elway to other quarterbacks. You sure. could compare Montana to other quarterbacks. You could even compare Brady to other quarterbacks. I don't know how you'd compare Mahomes to anybody else. Yeah. And that's from a physical standpoint. Is that also true psychologically? Yes. He just seems unflappable, whether he's playing well or not. Yeah. You can't well, tell. Yeah. Well, here's here's something I think that happens. Like I just brought up John Elway a few minutes ago. So the Denver Broncos, 1983, 4, 5, 6, 
tried to make Elway into a pocket passer. Right. Okay, he would have loved to have been a pocket passer, but if there's nothing there, break pocket, make a play, extend the play with his feet. But they the scheme didn't call for that, okay? The diff, so then John Elway go undergoes a lot of emotional and psychological distress because he's like, man, they're not they're not adhering or or you know they're scheming not playing to my skill set, right. you right? And so there's some emotional and psychological stress that comes along with that. Now fast forward to Patrick Mahomes. The NFL has changed. The paradigm of the NFL has changed of how we look at quarterbacks. You know, 1983, we wanted a kid that was six two, six three, six four, stood in the pocket, had a strong arm was very good cerebrally. They could make, you know, reads. That was the prototypical uh, quarterback. But today it's very different. We've understood that athleticism is going to help. You know, people, there's four or five quarterbacks around the league now that are very good, just as good with their feet as they are with their arms. Patrick Mahomes is the beneficiary of a paradigm that has changed from the neck up. And this is what I mean. So he makes throws that are really unconventional he'll be breaking pocket if there's a guy in front of him he'll lean he'll throw a sidearm he'll throw passes like this he'll dump them off if that would have happened in 1983 he would have been pulled from a game that would have been looked upon as un not fundamental risky not appropriate you know behavior for a quarterback in terms of turnover possibilities and now it's okay the paradigm has shifted because He's more athletic. People know that he can break pockets, sprint out right, throw back across the field to the left, which used to be an absolute no-no. If a quarterback would have thrown back across the field, man, if they would have not been pulled out of the game, they would have been chastised on the sideline. Don't you ever do that because there's a possibility of an interception. But Patrick Mahomes is the beneficiary of the shift in the paradigm that we have some more athletic quarterbacks that can make throws sidearmed, unba uh, un you know, off balance, in the grasp of a defender. You know, someone's getting ready to make a sack and he just pitches it out to a running back, you know, that breaks loose. And so we really are operating under a different era than we did before. And that really benefits a quarterback that is as diversely talented as a Patrick Mahomes. He is such, I mean, he's, he's, he's athletic. I get that, but his balance and then his perceptual values from the neck up. You're right. You know why he's so calm is because he has a high level of an internal locus yeah. of control. He knows that they've given him a green light. You know, if the pocket, if, if they're not open, break pocket, break pocket, find your guy, find 87, find five, find your guys. And he's allowed to do that quarterbacks weren't allowed to do that in 1983 and that's where the paradigm has shifted fascinating and it's also true that at least during the regular season and it showed up here and there in the playoffs but they reduced the number of drops they yeah. had from the season but the season saw kansas city drop more passes than mm -hmm. any other team less influenced by others even when they were dropping passes yeah. He found a way to get better as the season went on. They Absolutely. still kept dropping passes, yeah. but they were sluggish there in the middle of the year, right. including the week they came in here into Denver and lost. Yep. And they turned it around. Yeah. And they turned it around. I want to ask you about this too. Andy Reid said after the game, the biggest game for us this year was Christmas Day when we got licked by the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. In fact, he said he had texted during the week Antonio Pierce to tell him, 
great practice facility here. We yeah. appreciate uh, all that you've done with it. Uh, it's been ideal for us. And oh, by the way, thanks for kicking our tail on Christmas <laughs> Day because it galvanized our team. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, there's beauty in the struggle. I mean, there's got to be some kind of struggle for you to overcome that and really train the brain and the neural pathway that we're going to overcome those obstacles. As you know, I've mentioned it here before. There's a performance model. It's form, storm, norm, and perform. And you got to storm before you norm or perform. And, you know, Kansas City got their butt kicked by the Broncos, too. And there were, there were a few games where they got their butt kicked pretty good, and it made people look within. But here's the other thing I give the credit to the coaches, the offense coordinator, quarterback coach, for Patrick Mahomes because they didn't panic. They didn't sit there and say, hey, you can't make those risky throws. They just kept coaching him up. He kept playing, and they allowed him allowed him to develop. Patrick Mahomes, again, is the beneficiary of a paradigm shift in the NFL. And, you know, likewise, the same thing on the other side of the ball, defense. Defenses are more flexible with how they allow gap responsibility to, to be deployed. You know, back in the day, you had ABCD gap, and the, you had certain people responsible – now there's there's an inversion. You can trade gaps. You can communicate out on the field to trade those gaps, and th we never had that in our day. If you didn't, if you if you had C gap and you weren't in C gap, you're coming out of the game. So it's really the paradigm shift has influenced the whole NFL from the neck up. It's a calmer, less punitive place from the neck up in the NFL than it was 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh that reminds me as you talk of uh, what used to be true in basketball where there are positions in yeah. certain places they used to call yep. forwards corner men. Right. <laughs> and if they didn't operate out of the corner, they were doing something wrong. Wingers in hockey, left wing, yep. up and down the left side. You didn't crisscross. Yeah. You just stayed on yep. your wing. At right wing, same thing. Yep. And that obviously has changed. Now we talk about positionless basketball and hockey where three forwards interchange all the time. And if you don't know by their uh, identification on the score sheet, you have no idea who's the center, who's the left wing, who's the right wing. They're right. almost interchangeable yeah. parts that way. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the Super Bowl in greater detail in just a moment. But first, more on Dr. Rick Perea. As you know by now, I'm sure he is one of the premier performance psychologists in the country. To me, he's the best. Uh, check up from the neck up. That's what we get every Wednesday here on Wellness Wednesdays. And yet, uh, Rick Perea does a lot more than podcasts like this one. He is, of course, the former psychologist for the world champion Broncos back in 2015. Shortly thereafter, he worked with the Rockies for a time as uh, they were uh, embarking on a two-year uh, mission of making the playoffs, which they did. Yes, believe it or not, the Rockies back in 17 and 18 made the playoffs in back-to-back -back seasons. They have been in the playoffs more recently than the Broncos have been. And, uh, Dr. Puri also worked with the current world champions, the Denver Nuggets. But most importantly, he helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. So whether you go about your business on an everyday basis at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look him up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1number4u.org. I had the feeling in watching the game, and I try to think like you do now, um, and I want to know if you thought the same thing. I'm watching the game, and I'm 
torn for the 49ers mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I'd like to see uh, Kyle Shanahan get a ring. Mm-hmm. His father has a couple. I'd like yep. to see Kyle get one, and I'm convinced that he still will at some point uh, get at least one uh, Super Bowl. But when it was 10-3 to 3 at halftime, I had a very queasy feeling about it, mm-hmm. that it should have been more. And my question to you is, do such thoughts occur to players? So the 49ers sitting there during a very long Super Bowl halftime, which right. you've experienced before sure. personally, sure. Yep. and think, boy, we should be up oh, yeah. 16 to 3, 17 to 3 at least, yeah. and we're only up 7. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and that could lead to deficit thinking. Like, you know, we have asset and deficit thinking. And when you say we should be up 17 to three, we should be up 20 to three, whatever it may be, you're focusing on the shoulds, coulds, would'ves. Focus on asset thinking. Like what, what are we going to do in the second half? Let's control the things we can control. Let's be in a higher level of internal mm-hmm. locus of control so that we can take care of this game. People who think about what could go wrong instead of what we're going to do get into that level of negativity on that sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, which is the negative side. And so what we teach athletes is we only speak about process, not outcome. Stop looking at the scoreboard. It doesn't matter if it's 10 to 3, 20s. It doesn't really matter. We focus on process. We focus on my footwork and technique. That's it, footwork and technique. And when I focus on that, I have 100% control over that, okay? I may not be able to block that guy. I may be able to tackle him but I can control my footwork and technique. And when you focus on process, anxiety goes down. You're on the auto, you know, on the, on the parasympathetic side of the autonomic. And then really anything becomes possible. We saw the Detroit lions have a big lead taken away because they focused on outcome. They didn't focus on process. I have two clients with that team and they said they were at halftime talking all about what we got to do to get this result. Just focus on process. First drive, we got to score. Second drive, defense got to stop them. And the way we stop them on defense is, guess what? Footwork and technique. It's still fundamental, Sandy. We we talk about scheme and offense and all these complex offenses and defenses, but it comes down to blocking and tackling. And the way you block and the way you tackle is footwork and technique. So it's ironic that we can get as complex as we want. But even emotionally and mentally, it still comes down to process. And that's a simple side of mental enhancement. I thought San Francisco had a terrific game defensively, even with what happened at the end. I thought Nick Bosa played one of the best games I've ever seen. He was on fire. Play. He, he was on fire. Pressures. Ten yeah, pressures. He, he had a whole other giddy-up to his right. get-off. Right. But the magic number to me in that game was 13. That was the mm. number of possessions that the 49ers gave Patrick Mahomes. Yep. 13. There you go. And sooner or later, he's going to figure it out. Yeah. And I got the feeling that they understood that as the game went on. They had two turnovers from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They didn't do anything with either one of them. Right. Yeah. So those turnovers almost ended up, because San Francisco didn't take advantage of them, being at least psychologically maybe, a net plus for Kansas City. Absolutely. They turned it over twice. Absolutely. Once on their own end of the field, Yeah, San Francisco didn't score a point. Yeah. Well, and think about this. So, like, when when you recover a fumble, you have a plus turnover against a team. Right. It's usually a jovial feeling. When you have a minus turnover against a team, you see nonverbals. I saw where Shanahan said, oh, my gosh, after that – one of the fumbles and one of the turnovers 
and players that after McCaffrey's. Yeah. 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 And, and the players see that and they do say again, back to deficit thinking, Oh man, we should have done something with that fumble. We should have converted to a touchdown. We should have well, converted. Sure. First series right. of the game kind of set the tone. But again, you get back on that deficit side of thinking, it gets you on that sympathetic side, which is the stressful side of the autonomic. External locus of control will, will haunt you. It will hurt you as a team. It will hurt you as an individual. When you're on the internal locus of control, you have a strong sense of self. We can accomplish this. We're going to accomplish this. So how we talk to our brain, Sandy, throughout a, a match, a, a game, our life, how we talk to ourselves is going to be a, a big manifestation on what happens and what the result is. Kansas City's won three Super Bowls in five years, and they're looking for more. Right after the game, even, they were talking about, we're going to try to do what no one has ever done before and win three Super yeah. Bowls in a row. Never happened right. yeah. before. The Broncos had a chance to do it in 1999, uh, but they were trying to do it without John Elway. And uh, it turns out with uh, a good number of players yeah. hurt early the following yeah. season, that's the, the way the game goes sometimes. It's never happened before. Not even the great dynasty teams won three in a row. Pittsburgh won two in a row. Then a couple of years off, and they came back and won two in a row. But nobody's yeah. ever won three in a row. They're talking about it right after the game. How does San Francisco respond if you were advising the 49ers mm-hmm. individually, collectively, sure. whatever, third oldest team in the league, and the haunting notion that during the last five years they've had two cracks at it, mm-hmm. they had 10-point leads in both games. Yeah and lost both games. In fact, on Sunday, they had a 10-point lead at the half. Yeah, They had the lead with two minutes to go in regulation, inside of two minutes to sure. go in regulation. And they had the lead in the overtime period, and they still lost the game. I dare say they may go down in history as the only Super Bowl team mm-hmm. to have a double-digit lead at the half, yeah. a lead inside of two minutes to go in the game, and a lead in the overtime, yeah. and still lose the game. Yeah. What do you tell them uh, or do you just allow maybe a few weeks to pass without no. saying anything to them so that they can, as they say, and this is a cliche I'm guessing you hate, lick their proverbial wounds? Yeah, no, we're not licking anything. We have a culture by design, not default. Teams that lick their wounds, they have a culture by default. We have a culture by design, and what we're going to do is this. We're not going to try to do anything first. We remove that word try out of our, out of our vocabulary. We do things. And what we're going to do, we're, we're in a great spot. I'm going to borrow a page out of John Elway's psychology. We're, we have them right where we want them, okay? We have the rest of the NFL right where we want them. We're knocking on the door. So what? We didn't knock it down. We will this year. We're, we're primed to get there. We know what it takes to get here. We will get here again, and this time we will win. We will take care of the prize. But you've got to frame your thoughts. You've got to shape your thoughts or else your thoughts will shape you. You know, one of the things Dan Campbell said after their loss that I did not like, and he says it's going to be twice as hard to get back here. No, it's not. It will be if you think it is. But if you <laughs> if you don't think it is, it, it'll be as hard as you think it is. And we get to shape our thoughts every day, Sandy, and that's the beauty about what I do for a living is I teach people to help shape their thoughts so their thoughts don't shape them. Well, uh, it's been fascinating. Again, thank you. The last uh, thirty fun. minutes or so, uh, we've enjoyed it, and uh, we'll get into some other things uh, uh, more localized, uh, perhaps in uh, the next few weeks. We've got uh, uh, the hockey season and the basketball season well past the halfway mark, 
And in uh, college basketball, actually, we have uh, at least one school and maybe, maybe two, perhaps going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say happy Valentine's Day to you and Thank to everybody you. out there. I have my uh, my 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 lips on here and my hearts and roses in commemorative of Valentine's Day. And just want to tell everybody go out and love somebody today. All right. On that note, that is our uh, final word for this particular edition of Wellness Wednesday, our checkup from the neck up. We'll see you next week right back here on Mile High Sports.